I hope you guys can hear me now. Great. As I was saying, we're going through our summer sermon series. You know, this is what's great about that. We're still trying to figure this stuff out. And so, you know, it's all just part of it. So you guys listen from home. Glad you can hear me now. Those of you that are here, I've just been saying random stuff for like two minutes. Great. And we're good now. Good. Okay. Mark, snapshots of the life of Jesus. Kind of like a photo album. Um, So Jesus interacts with the disciples, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, the people of Israel. And and in all of these different interactions, uh, we learn about who Jesus is, but also who we are. And also kind of like what we are called to be in light of who he is. So this morning, we're going to look at the Sabbath and, and specifically what it means to find rest for our restless hearts in Jesus Christ. So um, it's Father's Day, right? And I quickly learned after becoming a dad how washed up um, I truly was. Lila was born, and so I felt all this existential angst that we have, y'all have been so gracious to work through with me from the pulpit together over the years. Um, but in doing it on my own, the, the way that I thought that I'd work through it is by working out like really hard, right? So I started doing these like super intense, high uh, impact interval training, uh, did these like every day, and I learned real quick that I wasn't in my 20s anymore, right? I realized it one day because I just got out of my car and I turned my body and as soon as I reached my foot out, I felt it. Something tweaked in my lower back, right? Before my foot even hit the ground, it tweaked. And uh, I don't know if it wasn't because I had been stretching enough, my body was breaking down, my form wasn't right, who knows what it was. But that pain in my back was so bad. And I don't think I necessarily threw it my back out. I wasn't bedridden. I could walk. I could sit. I could function throughout the day. But what was awful about how I tweaked it was that it was like this like low-level, constant hum of pain. No matter how I sat, walked, no matter what, it was always there. Now, being uh, uh, the indignant guy that I am, I didn't go to the doctor. Um, you know, Dr. Google always helps. And... Um, They also just told me, all you can do is rest, right? Well, this was problematic for two reasons. One, uh, the working out was supposed to make me feel better existentially, right? So I couldn't do that. So my heart wasn't at rest. And then also, the second thing it says, I couldn't be physically at rest either. Because if I laid down or sat down for any period of time, I felt that low hum of pain. So it was like physically and existentially, I was like super not restful at all. I don't know if uh, this resonates with you this morning, um, but it does for me. My heart feels restless this morning. It feels like there's a constant low hum of pain and brokenness that I feel. As we continue to grapple with a global pandemic, what it means for our way of life, a growing number of deaths throughout the country and the world, whether or not there will be school in August, job uncertainty, financial anxiety, the stress of whether or not uh, the virus will rebound heavily or the spiking numbers that we see rest isn't easy in a global pandemic, we're finding out. 
And then to add to that, there's deep unrest in our nation. Deep historic sin is being rooted out right now, both in our hearts and in the systems and institutions of our country. As we begin to realize, at least from a majority white culture, the reality that racism is not something that our country was built on or something of the past, but something that is deep in each of our hearts, minds, and is a present reality for our black brothers and sisters individually, corporately, and systemically right now. So this is causing a restlessness in our nation, perhaps unlike we've experienced in a long time. So what do we do with that? Well, we're restless in part because we were made for rest. Genesis shows the pattern of what rest looks like. When, when God worked for six days, creating all things, only to rest on the seventh day. So as image bearers of God, we believe it's part of our humanity, how we were created to rest. So the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. This is just a fancy term of saying that it's something that God created and made to be a part of the world before sin ever entered the picture. Sabbath rest was and is now an echo of paradise. And of course, keeping the Sabbath holy and its observance is also one of the Ten Commandments. And to highlight its importance, it's the second longest and most detailed of all the Ten Commandments. Sabbath and rest are integral to the Christian life. And this is why sin is so disruptive, because sin disrupts rest. Nothing makes us restless like our sin and the sin in the world. So as Christians, we believe that true rest is found only in Jesus Christ. Or as St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. So we practice the Sabbath because when we do, it aligns our heart with God. Sabbath rest is both reserving a day for worship of God, like we're doing here this morning, but it's also uh, a lived-in reality that brings peace to our hearts and souls, and it brings healing to the world. So Sabbath is actually a gift to our needy and restless hearts because it brings us before the feet of Jesus, and there we find grace, love, peace, and restoration. And this is what we see in Mark, right? The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, make him contradict himself, the Jewish faith. And by trying to hold Jesus to the letter of the law, they missed the spirit of the law. And they missed Jesus. So it's my hope this morning as we start to walk through it that we don't make their mistake. And that we do realize on a fundamental level that our hearts will be restless until they find rest in Jesus. Two things today that we're going to look at in light of this fact is first, that we're going to see that the lordship of Jesus is where we find rest. And then second, we're going to see that the healing of Jesus is the outworking or the result of rest, true Sabbath rest. So the lordship of Jesus is where we find it, and then healing is the outworking. So verse 23 says this, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their ways, the disciples were plucking the heads of grain. So plucking the heads of grain was not illegal or against the law of Israel. And there were actually specific laws that said that people could do it, even if it wasn't their field. The problem was not that the disciples plucked heads of grain, but rather that they did it on the Sabbath, right? They did it on the day they were supposed to be resting. And the law prohibited the people of Israel to work or recreate in any way unless, on the Sabbath, unless it was a life or death emergency. 
So they even went as far to say, uh, you can't work, your household can't work, your children can't work, not even your animals are supposed to be working on the Sabbath. So plucking the heads of the grain violated the letter of the law. And so Jesus, being responsible for the disciples, it was contingent on him to prohibit them from violating the law. So they rebuked him, right? The Pharisees said, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus does this really interesting thing. He, he begins talking about a story with King David. And some context about this story, David was anointed king, but he wasn't fully king yet. So David was kind of the king apparent, but Saul was still ruling. And his men were hungry. So David looks for a fix. And the closest thing was the temple. And he went in there and he took the bread that was symbolizing the presence of God itself and asked the priest for it. And the priest was kind of like, well... What the king asks for, the king gets. So he gives him the bread, and David gives it to his followers, and they eat. Priest doesn't rebuke him. The scripture doesn't call David out for it. And that's the story that Jesus uses, which is really fascinating. If David's authority was enough to supersede the law, how much more does Jesus' authority mean? And this is why he reminds them in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made by God and commanded as a gift to mankind so that they could find the rest that they were looking for. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but vice versa, a taste of paradise and Eden that God gave to man for their flourishing and for their good. And because Jesus is the Lord over mankind, he is too Lord over the Sabbath. So observing the Sabbath or, or trying to find rest without first submitting it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's not going to do what you hope it is. Rather, it's only recognizing his Lordship that we find the rest that we were always created for. So we know that God in his goodness is all-powerful. He's sovereign over all things. He's unchanging. He's all honor and glory, all these things that we talk about with God. So, and this is, I mean, this is obvious, but God doesn't get tired, right? God doesn't get tired. He's all powerful. So if God doesn't get tired, why did he rest on the seventh day? God rested on the seventh day because his work was finished. He was done. And he didn't just rest on that seventh day. He began to rule. So he worked for six days, and then on the seventh, he began to rule. Rest and rule of God are intertwined. The first place we must look for when our hearts are restless is to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So this morning, there are many of us here that feel restless. Our hearts are restless. Life has not returned to normal yet in a lot of ways. And who knows what it will look like when it does. And our hearts are struggling with that uncertainty of the unknown. So how do we in that place submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Well, first we have to say he's the Lord even over our own restless hearts. Some of you this morning are physically restless. Whether it's by um, age, malady whatever anxiety so often manifests physically causing us to feel bodily uneasy 
and yet Jesus Christ is Lord even over our anxiety. Some of you are here this morning and you feel restless spiritually. Your walk with the Lord has turned stale and lifeless without the intimacy you used to feel. And yet Jesus Christ is Lord even over your spiritual walk with him. Some of you feel restless in your marriages. Like you don't even know the person you're married to or even worse, you know them too well. And you're at the end of the rope. And yet Jesus Christ is Lord even over your marriage. So often we become restless because we feel like we have nowhere to go with our anxiety, our lack of intimacy, our uncertainty about the future. And Jesus is saying, you won't find rest until you find it in me. You won't find what you're looking for until you submit every aspect of your life to my lordship. Jesus Christ is upholding and sustaining all things, our uncertainty even, our anxiety even, our marriages, our relationships. And he says, come to me, lay the weight of the world you are carrying and put it on my shoulders, put it at my feet. He bears those burdens for us because we can't. The rule of God and the rest of God are inextricably linked. This is the gospel, right? The heart of the gospel is that we were made for perfect intimacy and our sin threw us into a state of eternal unrest. And there was nothing we could ever do to find that intimacy again. And yet, Jesus Christ on the cross declared his rule and dominion over all things, even the power of sin and darkness and Satan. And in doing so, we find what we're looking for. At creation... God's work was finished, so he rested. On the cross, Jesus Christ said it was finished so that we could rest. So at creation, God's work was finished and he rested. But on the cross, Jesus said it was finished so that you could rest and so that I could rest. Submit your heart to that rule and you will find the rest that your heart and your soul needs. So... As we've seen, our hearts are restless until they rest in Jesus. The rule of God is where we find it. And now we're going to see that the healing of Jesus is the outworking of that Sabbath rest. So after this um, interaction with the Pharisees, he goes into the synagogue. The Pharisees are watching his every move, trying to see if he'll slip up again. And verse 2 says they watched him to see if he would heal a man with a withered hand. So he was in the synagogue and um, Jesus' reputation as a healer had preceded him. The Pharisees probably knew that the man with the withered hand would be a good test whether or not Jesus would break the law and heal on the Sabbath. And what I love about Jesus is that he didn't wait for the guy to come up to him who probably knew who Jesus was too in his reputation. No, Jesus went to the guy and he's, as he walked in, he said, come here. And he said, is it lawful? Because he knew the Pharisees were watching. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and healed him. His hand was restored, the scriptures say. In the Pharisee's mind, healing on the Sabbath, major violation of the law, even a punishable of death, as we see in the last verse, healing was only acceptable on the Sabbath if it was a life or death situation. We, we mentioned that earlier. And yet they missed the point completely. The healing of Jesus Christ is always a life or death situation. 
Though Jesus healed the man's hand, what he really was showing was that the point of the Sabbath itself is eternal healing. The withered hand is also symbolic for our withered hearts that are only healed when we find rest in Jesus. But that eternal healing also has present realities, right? The guy's hand was actually restored and healed. In the same way, the rest that is found in Jesus Christ is not just an eternal one, but it has a present reality for us as well. One thing that's interesting um, that I didn't really mention earlier is another reason why Jesus mentioned King David. Specifically that point in time in David's life where he was anointed king, but he wasn't king yet. It was that in-between time for David that was so interesting. But I like that Jesus mentions that because it's kind of the same for him, right? He was on earth. He had come. His ministry had started. He was the Messiah, but people didn't know yet. And not only that, he hadn't died and risen again to reign in glory with God yet. So he was here, but he hadn't ascended to the throne yet. So like David, he was at this in-between time where his kingdom was breaking in, but not fully realized yet. This is why it was okay for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. His kingdom was breaking in. The, man, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So when Jesus saw someone not at rest on the Sabbath, he had to heal him. His kingdom was breaking in. It's good for us to think too, because we also are still in that in-between time. The kingdom of Christ is broken in, but we know that it's not fully realized yet either. Our role in all of creation is to bring that kingdom, a kingdom that's characterized by rest, the true rest that humanity was always made for, not just in our own hearts, but also in the world. We are agents of that kingdom as we move out into the world. The heart of the world is also restless until they find the healing rest of Jesus as well. Just as the rule of Jesus and the rest of Jesus are inextricably linked, so too is the healing rule of Jesus and rest linked. This is why he heals so frequently on the Sabbath. Matthew 12, we see Jesus healing a man with a withered hand in a parallel account. Mark chapter 1, we saw Jesus heal the man with an unclean spirit on the Sabbath. Later in that day, he goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. Luke 13, Jesus heals a woman who had been crippled for 18 years on the Sabbath. A chapter later in Luke 14, Jesus heals a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. On, in John 5, Jesus heals a man who had been sick for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. And later in John, in chapter 9, he heals a man blind from birth on the Sabbath. The majority of the time that Jesus broke conventional Sabbath uh, rules and understanding was for kingdom purposes, specifically to heal. To bring rest to those who are restless and needed physical and spiritual healing is the way that Jesus moved so often, primarily on the Sabbath. This is so incredibly important for us to think about. Here's why. We talk often about the kingdom here at Hope Chapel. We do. And it is in times of social unrest right now that an understanding of the kingdom of God is so incredibly important. It is for times like these that our nation is in that we preach about the kingdom. 
It's because we don't believe that the gospel is only that I, myself, am a sinner in need of salvation. Now, it's certainly not less than that, but we believe that it's more than that. We believe that the gospel is this. God created all things for his glory and also for our sake and us in his image, that we sinned and rebelled against God, and that our only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And we believe that the trajectory of God's kingdom is a renewal and restoration of all things, and that that renewal and restoration is happening right now as the kingdom of Jesus Christ breaks into the world. We have to tell that full story of the gospel. That's why those pictures are up in the lobby that we pass every single day to tell that full story. And church, I can't stress this enough. A theology of kingdom and restoration is so incredibly important in times of social unrest. Because Christians who believe that the gospel is only I'm a sinner in need of salvation, if they say that that's the gospel, we have to apply that to social issues. So we have to say that the gospel, uh, let's say we have the gospel and race issues, or we have the gospel and gender, or we have the gospel and sexuality. It reminds me of an oatmeal and raisin cookie, right? The reason, and this is an illustration from my buddy up in Michigan, Addison, he's the best. Um, We say oatmeal and raisin cookie because it's two things you don't want together, right? Those are like two odd things, oatmeal and raisin, right? You put them together, you mash them together with a lot of sugar, you bake it, and somehow it works, right? And so when we talk about, but what's implicit in that is that those two things really shouldn't work together, right? So when we talk about the gospel and race, what we're inherently saying is like, these two things really don't really go together, and yet we're going to mash them together and maybe bake them and maybe they'll find some overlap and maybe it'll all work out. Well, we can't look at social issues that way. We don't look at the kingdom of God that way. We don't have to apply the gospel to social issues because we believe that the trajectory of the gospel is cosmic redemption and restoration in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So God is in the business of redeeming and restoring all things right now in the social realm. We don't have oatmeal and raisin cookies that are mashed together that somehow work. We don't have the gospel and race or how the gospel applies to race. No, writing racial injustice is an integral part of what Jesus died for. It's part of the thing. It's not an ingredient added. Promoting flourishing and healing from injustice is exactly what the kingdom of God looks like throughout the whole world. God is in the business of looking at every square inch of this world. And where he sees injustice, he cries out against it. And we, all, we ought to as well as agents of that kingdom. So don't you see race, gender, sexuality, the unborn, they're all part of God's kingdom. So how do we view the brokenness that plagues them in light of that redeeming and restoring work? That is our task as God's people. This changes the way we view any social issue. We don't view them through the lens of politics through the lens of science, even philosophy, things that can all help, but they aren't the lens and framework through which we view them. We view them through the kingdom of God and his restoring and redeeming work against all that sin breaks. So we, more than anyone, we have a framework to talk about this stuff. We have a framework to talk about injustice, brokenness, sin, whether it's systemic or individual, because we believe that the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom is breaking in right now. So anywhere there's injustice, 
Anywhere that God's image bearers are hurting or being hurt or hurting others, anywhere there's oppression, abuse of power, all incredibly devastating effects of sin, it's there that God's kingdom is needed. So when we see injustice, like racism, baked into our systems and institutions in our country, we call it out. We cry for healing. Systemic racism is antithetical to the kingdom of God, and we should denounce it every chance we get. When we see black brothers and sisters being killed and murdered by the people who are supposed to protect them, we call it out. And we cry for healing, because abuse of power is antithetical to the kingdom of God. And we should denounce it every chance we get. When we see uh, our black brothers and sisters asking us to see them, to hear the injustice done to them for centuries, the lingering effects of slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, and we choose to ignore them, we're doing exactly the opposite of what the kingdom of God is about. Racial bias and injustice is antithetical to the kingdom of God, and we should renounce it every chance we get. The church, more than anyone, can repent of our own racism, our white supremacy, our inherent bias, because we know more than anyone that sin reigns in our hearts, making us restless until we turn to Jesus and find rest in him. Repentance of sin in our hearts is, is, is not a platitude that we talk about. It's a lived-in reality. It's the lifestyle of the church. And this goes for all social issues. The gospel doesn't apply to, to sexuality and gender issues. Gender issues and sexuality are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we must view them through kingdom eyes. The gospel doesn't apply to protecting the unborn. Protecting the unborn must be viewed through the kingdom eyes and God's redeeming and restoring work for those that are the most helpless. The gospel doesn't apply to misogyny, abuse, oppression. These are kingdom issues that need justice under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This must be the way that we change the way that we view and move into the world. Church, this is a kingdom issue. Politics is not our God. Social media campaigns are not our God. Protest, even, are not our God. Social pressure is not our God. Our God is the king of the universe. And we talk about social issues because they are kingdom issues. As my buddy uh, Cody Bropes from seminary and the pastor at Living Branch Church says, here's something that Jesus never said. Let's only talk about Jesus. Jesus talked about a lot of things. What a gift it is that we get to partner with him and his kingdom work right here and right now. So I learned something um, with my whole back issue that I, I didn't think I would. It wasn't to not work out so hard. It wasn't to have better form or just to chill out, which I probably should have done all those things. Um, it was to have grace for myself. It's okay that I couldn't, that I wasn't in my 20s anymore. But even bigger, even the bigger spot that I need grace for myself was the crisis, the existential crisis that fatherhood brought on me. That I didn't think I was good enough. That I wasn't going to be able to connect emotionally with my kids. That I was going to really mess them up. That's what I needed grace for myself in. Because all of those places I felt inadequate and not good enough. Jesus Christ looked at me and said, I'm more than enough for you. I'm more than enough for your kids. I'm more than enough for your family. Rest in me. True 
Sabbath rest flows from Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And because of that, there's grace for us and there's grace for you. We are not always going to submit to the rule of Jesus well in every facet of our lives. And there's grace for us. We are not going to partner well with the healing that his kingdom brings as agents of his kingdom. And we're going to mess up. We're going to do it bad. We're going to hurt people. We're going to say wrong things. We're going to do wrong things. And yet there's grace for us. And there's grace for you. Every time we fail, if we look, we see the kind eyes of Jesus Christ looking back at us. And his arms outstretched, encouraging us to rest in his love and in his grace. Because we can't bear the weight of our own sin. And yet he can. And even more important, he did. So when we submit our hearts to him, we will find true rest. The rest we were created for. And it's my hope that as we learn the process of entering into these social conversations and issues together, what it means to be the kingdom of God in the world as agents of his kingdom, that there's grace for us too as we do it, and that we have grace for one another. Because that is how Jesus is moving towards us, if we'll only just rest in that. Will you find it in him this morning? Amen.